And we are live, ladies and gentlemen. And it is a Friday. It is Friday, June 12th, 2020. You know that, of course. Uh, if you're watching this sometime in the future, you don't know that. But if you're watching this in the future, now you do know. Future fans now know the date this show was recorded. My name is Tony Visick. The name of this show is Living on a Thin Line. We do it every day at 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. It is your daily distraction diversion from all the craziness, hoopla, and weirdness going on in our world today. Uh, uh, I'm certainly one who enjoys talking about controversial topics and will engage in conversations uh, concerning con controversial topics, but it's not necessarily what this show is about. This show is about a break. I uh, kind of started it because I needed a break too. So uh, hopefully it's a break for you as well. Got a great show for you today. Um, I am wearing an Arizona Cardinals baseball cap. You can see that. Uh, one that I haven't worn very often. I believe I bought it. I've been to uh, many Arizona Cardinal football game, primarily when they played at Sun Devil Stadium and a couple times since they've moved to their new uh, digs. So, um, uh, and I look forward, I look forward, I look forward to the NBA returning, um, I believe at the end of July, and to uh, the NFL returning too. Um, all things uh, being equal, all things make it so that it's still possible for them to be able to play uh, in a uh, safe way. <clears throat> but I'm going to say something about uh, athletes and why I, I love sports so much. Uh, I believe in all of their rights to express their opinions. I strongly believe in Colin Kaepernick's right to do what he did. I believe this is right. But that's not why I watched Colin Kaepernick, nor is it why I watched the Arizona football Cardinals. Uh, it's not why I watched the L.A. Clippers. Although uh, I noted Doc Rippers, Doc Doc Rippers, Doc Rivers to be uh, uh, a man uh, uh, to be looked up to and admired, who uh, uh, has weight on many subjects besides basketball. I know that, but that's not why I watch sports. I watch sports for the same reason I do this show to forget <laughs> for an hour or two about the things that I normally think about. Someone said, why don't you take a vacation? Sometime I go, I can't take a vacation from my head. Sports allows me to take a vacation from my head. I respect all their rights to do whatever it is they do outside of it. I'm watching them for what they do on the court. When my daughter was a little girl, when she was 10 years old, I started taking her to NBA games. She was on a city league, and I thought it might be a fun thing to do. Fortunately, in Los Angeles, we had two, have two, I lived in Los Angeles, two basketball teams, the Los Angeles Clippers and the LA Lakers, and the LA Clippers were abysmal. Uh, at the time, uh, money was tight, but I wanted to take her to a game, and instead of paying 200 bucks to watch the Lakers from way up high, I could pay 25 bucks and watch the Clippers way down low, and my 10-year-old daughter would have a great experience. It is how I became a Clippers fan. That was during the time of uh, World Made a Peace, starting a big fight uh, under his previous name. It was during the time of uh, Latrell Sprewell. It was during a time when basketball was a little more violent game as far as elbows throwing. The uh, famous story of uh, the man who later on became coach of the Houston Rockets being cold cocked. Uh, the Detroit Piston bad boys. But a change began to take place in basketball where it became much more of an athletic game and that sort of behavior was uh, not, uh, uh, not promoted. But even then at that time, I told my daughter, I go, look, we're going to watch this game because there were some guys on a certain team that uh, uh, had been in some, uh, a little bit of trouble. And I said, here's the important thing about athletes. 
We admire what they do on the court in the field, but we don't look to them for any advice. Now, even when I agree, I agree with what Colin Kaepernick did. I still don't look to him as my bell, as my rock, as my beacon to make decisions. You have to learn how to make good decisions and then make them on your own. So uh, I'm wearing an Arizona Cardinals hat. I don't think anybody on there has anything that can tell me about stock tips or marital bliss or social justice or any of that. Maybe some of them do. You know, there may be. There's probably some accountants. Um, uh, uh, Tony LaRussa, uh, the uh, legendary uh, baseball coach for the St. Louis Cardinals and Oakland Athletics, uh, was an attorney. He had a law degree, considered an egghead. The problem for most of these athletes and why I very much enjoy what they do when they are doing what they do, and why I don't really pay much attention to them when they're not doing it, is because there's very little in the life of someone who achieves um, the status of a professional athlete in America that prepared them for any sort of adversity. I had some friends who played for uh, UCLA, who played on a Rose Bowl team. A couple of them got drafted by the NFL, but one who didn't, uh, he got uh, drafted by the Canadian League. Later on, he got drafted by the Minnesota Vikings, decided not to go when he was a little older. He told me, he goes, I've never had to do anything hard my whole life. I didn't have to study. I didn't have to listen. I didn't have to obey. All I had to do was play football since I was a little boy. He said, they found me when I was a little boy. They go to Pop Warner games and watch, and they can pick, they'll pick us out, and they'll follow us. And as long as you're playing and as long as you're winning – you can do anything, and people will do everything for you. He goes, I never had to find a girlfriend. I never had to do a single thing. When I got recruited, I was recruited by three cheerleaders. He goes, and now I got to learn how to live life. Now I have to learn how to live life. Most of you watching right now have faced greater adversity than most of our professional athletes. I admire many of them. I enjoy what they do, but most of you have faced greater adversity and overcame that adversity. So, when the NBA starts back up and the NFL starts back, I will watch. I will watch because I enjoy how the games transport me from where I am at the moment to another place, something else to get involved in. I just thought I'd bring that up because I was wearing this hat. All right. All right. So, um... Hey, here's a question for, uh, well, no, I'll hold this question off. Uh, this show is built around three things, ladies and gentlemen. One, two, three. We are on three platforms, Facebook Live, uh, on YouTube, on the Comedy Schools channel, and uh, for your soul listening enjoyment, ComedySchoolsRadioNetwork.com, where I got a lot of great interviews from older shows I've done housed as well. Uh, it's based around three things, your questions or comments as you're watching. Uh, I'm glad to interact with you. Uh, and then some knickknack or memorabilia or something silly. I got laying around the home office here that at one time meant something to me and then has now gathered dust. And I kicked that dust off it and realized how important it was in my life at one time and share it with you. And I recommend uh, uh, either two artists or pieces of music based on my vast, vast uh, vinyl collection. And it is vast. So let's get to the second thing right now. Let's see if I'm sticking here. Sometimes I'm sticking and uh, no, not sticking. All right. The first thing is going to be a magazine. Not that kind of magazine, Glenn. And there it is. There it is. National Lampoon. 
And this one, I'll show it to you again. Always great covers. On this cover is a young, blonde-haired, uh, kind of like almost Swedish-looking woman and a little boy, and they're in a kitchen. Look carefully, and she's serving dinner, and the dinner is a dog with an apple in his mouth. And here is the, um, the, what it says over the top of it is, give me a magazine, a cover with a beautiful girl, a dog, or a baby on it, and I'll give you a magazine that sells. And that was a quote from William Randolph Hearst, who owned the San Francisco Examiner and L.A. Examiner and many other newspapers, uh, and the guy who, um, uh, in Citizen Kane, uh, that Arson Wells' character is based on. But that's, so look, there's a woman, there's a little boy, there's a dog, but the dog is dead and he's on a serving plate. <laughs> give me a magazine cover with a beautiful girl, a dog, or a baby on it. I'll give you a magazine that sells. This came out in January of 1977. National Lampoon, for a period of time, from the early 70s up through uh, the late 70s, was the arbiter of American humor, of new American humor, of the American humor of young people. Now, there were still Dean Martin and Bob Hope and Jack Benny and all those guys were still around and... And, you know, in retrospect, they're really funny. But if you were in high school or college in the early to mid-70s, National Lampoon was must-reading. More, more must-reading than any homework assignment, okay? It was a great magazine. The amount of humor in this magazine in the pages is just astounding, as was Mad Magazine at the time. The work that went in, the cartoons that were drawn. Um, hold on, we got here. Surprise poster number four. Uh... I can't tell what this is supposed to be. I don't have time. <laughs> so this is surprise poster number four. So if you look carefully here, I don't know if you can see. Uh, no, you can't see it there. Yeah, let's see if you can do it here. Hey, you can't see it. I'm messing it up. I'm sorry. But uh, they, uh, the the subtlety, the... Uh, um, um, the subversiveness of the humor in National Lampoon was just astounding. Now, by 1977, it was no longer in its heyday. It was no longer in its heyday. It was entering in its way. This is around the time that P.J. O'Rourke took over as the editor. Um, but in the early 70s, because by then, uh, so much of the talent had been poached for, by Saturday Night Live, by Hollywood itself. Uh, so much of the talent that had gone into creating this magazine uh, had gone on, and the talent that replaced it was um, good, but not that legendary lightning strike the National Lampoon had in the early 70s. I urge you, if you're ever, uh, once you can get back out and about, and if you're ever in some sort of secondhand store, and there's, mad, uh, there's National Lampoon magazines from the 70s, I urge you to uh, pick one up and uh, thumb through it. You'll be amazed at the amount of funny stuff and the work they put into it. Um, when I was in high school, it was what you had to read is, is what you did talk about when it came to humor. When I was a teenager, it was, it was all more George Carlin than Richard Pryor for a while. Richard Pryor, George Carlin, National Lampoon. Those were our people. Those were our comedy gods, uh, along with offbeat shows on television like Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, Fernwood tonight, things that the rest of America wasn't watching. As somebody pointed out about a, uh, a show, uh, I think Fernwood Tonight with Martin Mull and uh, the recently deceased Fred Willard, God rest his soul, that they go, because that show in the 70s was the only reason I owned a TV. TV was terrible in the 70s. 
Yeah, they were good. Mary Tyler Moore was on, you know, All in the Family was on. But for the most part, it wasn't that great. It was Barney Miller and, I don't know, Run for Your Life. I have no idea. Um, but Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, Fernwood tonight, and then Saturday Night Live <coughs> were the reasons, many of us, the only reasons we turned on our TVs. Someone one time, uh, someone younger than me, totally waxed uh, nostalgic for... Uh, uh, why is the show, why is the name of the show escaping me at the moment uh, with the Confederate flag on the car? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Dukes of Hazard. Dukes of Hazard. Thank you, Jonathan Ortiz. Dukes of Hazard. Someone younger than me was waxing poetic about the Dukes of Hazard and goes, Didn't you watch that show in the 70s? I go, No, I didn't. You know, I lived in a place where people had cars like that. I go, Look, that show came on, I think it came on Friday nights. I said, he came on when I was 21. Okay, when I was 21, the Dukes of Hazards on Friday nights. If I was home watching the Dukes of Hazards on Friday nights when I was 21, that was a shitty Friday night. Something had gone terribly wrong. There was always something better to do right outside the door in High Ridge, Missouri or St. Louis, Missouri when I was 21 than watch the Dukes of Hazard. So no, not a big fan. Anyway, check out the National Lampoon. This is from January 1977. I don't know that a magazine like this could exist today. And I don't know if that's good or bad. By the way, look at the advertisement on the back. Carlton cigarettes. Carlton cigarettes. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that um, a lot of unsavory businesses actually have paid for the year for very, pro very progressive things. Um, Cigarette ads allowed some of the uh, great comedic comedy geniuses of the 50s, 60s, 70s, into the 80s uh, to be able to pay very well because cigarettes spent, cigarette companies spent a huge amount in advertising. I once told a reporter for the Phoenix New Times, which fancies itself as an uh, alternative uh, publication that uh, uh, is supportive of progressive and left-wing causes, I go, look. You're nothing more than uh, a whole bunch of pieces of paper that are supported with ads in the back for uh, pornography and prostitution. I go, I'm not putting down pornography and prostitution per se, okay? I says, I'm not saying that, they, that people engage are horrible people. There's a lot of reasons why people do that. I go, but don't sit there and be all high and mighty with me when, you know, that's how your entire publication is uh, supported. You know, so uh, outcall, massage, outcall, massage, outcall, massage. And then on the front cover, oh, the sheriff's a bad man. So uh, anyway, National Lampoon Magazine, you want to check it out. That one's from 1977, just as it was from the late 70s on, uh, National Lampoon became much more pornographic, a lot more nudity because they were still trying to get people to watch, uh, buy the magazine. And I think it was P.J. O'Rourke who said, well, you know, uh, everybody likes to look at a naked girl. So um, it had become much more of that. Um, okay, all right, okay. Hey, a couple things to uh, tell you about uh, moving forward, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this Sunday night, this Sunday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, on Zoom to your living room, we bring you Tony Vizic Presents Sunday Night's Funnier. This Sunday, uh, the Tony Vizic All-Stars, and that includes Jim Perry, Kevin Brown, Andrew Irwin, and special guest, Paul Green. <coughs> Paul Green was supposed to be the headliner last week, but he had some uh, internet issues. So he is returning this Sunday to give us the performance he was supposed to give us last Sunday. 
this Sunday night. And you know what? And uh, we've had Kevin Brown and Jim Perry on a couple times now. And uh, uh, you want to tune in every Sunday and watch as these guys grow and progress, not only as performers, but in the way that they use all this new technology to entertain you. This is the future. Even when they come up with a vaccine and no one ever gets COVID-19 again, this is going to be part of our future because it's a great way to communicate. And a lot of the comics that you'll see on Sunday night show are the pioneers in that. So Sunday night, only 10 bucks. Tickets are easy to get. Go to ComedySchools.com. ComedySchools.com. Click Get Tickets, and you can purchase your ticket. When you purchase your ticket, you're buying three things. You're buying uh, a great hour of entertainment. You're also, uh, we also pay the comics with your proceeds, so you're keeping the economy moving, you know, and that's all it takes is a whole bunch of individuals doing just a little bit to make things work well. And we donate portions of proceeds to uh, the Maricopa Food Pantry, so you're feeding people as well. Three things for 10 bucks. When I was a kid, for 10 bucks, you could get uh, a bottle of Boone's Farm, $2 worth of gas, and a uh, nickel bag of what is now legal marijuana, and uh, you had a Friday night, or you had a whole weekend. So I'm kind of offering you the same thing, only totally legal, uh, and you don't have to go anywhere. Okay. All right. Oh, and this Tuesday, this Tuesday uh, at 6 p.m., you can also find this at ComedySchools.com. Free intro for my stand-up comedy workshops. Absolutely free. No charge at all. Check it out. Uh, The meeting codes are there. The way to connect to the meeting is there this Tuesday, 6 p.m. If you ever... Thought about doing stand-up comedy. If you know someone who you think would be a good idea for, direct them to ComedySchools.com. They'll be able to watch for free Tuesday and decide if they want to sign up for one of our workshops. Okay, let's get to the music, shall we? Shall we? Yes, we shall. All right. So uh, this first album, uh, not uh, the album's a little obscure, but the, the uh, artist isn't. And, of course, it's Bob Dylan. And it's Bob Dylan in the... Um, if my brother Jerry's on, he'll know the exact date. But I want to say, uh, I don't know if it says here. I want to say the 1980s. And this is Empire Burlesque. Empire Burlesque. Now, some of these albums were, are in the pantheon of Bob Dylan albums. This is not one that people go, that's one of his greatest albums. But it's still a great album. Uh, Tight Connection to My Heart is good. Seeing the Real You at Last. I Remember You. Clean Cut Kid. Never going to be the same again. Trust yourself. Emotionally yours. When the night comes falling from the sky, something's burning, baby, in dark eyes. My personal favorites from this album are Tight Connection to the Heart, Seeing the Real You at Last, and Clean Cut Kid. So if you uh, like Bob Dylan, and uh, but you're not like, uh, like a Bob Dylan freak, and you've listened to what you know is the major stuff from the 60s and 70s, uh, dig up 1985. Thank you, Jerry. 1985. Uh, dig out Empire Burlesque or YouTube those songs. YouTube the song uh, Tight Connection to My Heart or Clean Cut Kid. Clean Cut Kid, a bit of a, uh, uh, a political rant that I think you'll find interesting. So uh, hello, Michelle, old neighbor Michelle from my Panorama City days. Good to see you. Uh, dig up Bob Dylan. Well, don't dig him up. I don't want to make it sound like that. Uh, YouTube, a Tight Connection to My Heart or Clean Cut Kid. And then uh, the next time we're on, if you've listened, tell me what you think. All right. Now, the next album. This band is a great band. And oddly enough, as the years went by, they became something of a punchline to a generation. And those who uh, 
deigned them to be punchlines, in my estimation, were jokes themselves. And here's the band, and here's the album. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. We're talking about the often mentioned but seldom loved Fog Hat. Fog Hat on this album, which is Energized, Wild Cherry, Step Outside, Home on My Hand, Nothing I Won't Do, That'll Be the Day, Golden Arrow, Fly By Night, and Honey Hush. And this, I believe, is, yeah, 1973-74, no, 74, when this album came out. So Fog Hat, for some reason, had become a punchline. Something weird happened with them, probably with a really bad recording contract, because by the 80s, they were playing bars, uh, certain people that were making a lot of money were uh, Fog Hat was hired to play backyard parties for uh, 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 stockbrokers, you know, uh, and they kind of uh, they kind of fell apart a little bit. Great band, Rod Price, Roger Earl, Lonesome Dave, and Tony Stevens. Uh, I saw this band three times, and as far as British boogie bands go, doing the blues. These guys were par excellent in concert. They were tight. They were sharp. And what they did, and you may not notice, but uh, Honey Hush, uh, uh, That'll Be the Day is a Buddy Holly song. Uh, and Honey Hush is an old Willie Dixon tune, all right, which I believe was done by um, uh, Howlin' Wolf. These were British kids who loved the American blues. And like Eric Clapton, like the Rolling Stones, like so many over in England, they totally fell in love with the music that came out of uh, uh, Chess Records, that came out of Sun Records, music that white America wasn't listening to, was eaten alive by these young skinny British kids, both, most of them malnourished because they were born during the war when there was no food, as it was described to me by the uh, famous guitarist Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols. And they made incredible music. Slow Ride, of course, is now, you know, ubiquitous. And I think the problem for Fog Hat became the same problem Steppenwolf had, is that a, a certain segment of the population, uh, the sort of uh, uh, biker, pseudo-biker, uh, sort of uh, guys who started out as young stoners who, um, and I'm not saying all bikers are in this category, but then grew up to be sort of long hair, not long hair rednecks, but long hair right-wingers who still wanted to smoke dope and ride Harleys, but uh, uh, had kind of sunk down into a, uh, an older type of thinking. Loved Steppenwolf and Foghat. They kind of be, a lot of the people who liked Foghat later on my late 70s, early 80s, be the kind of people going, well, that ain't shit, that ain't Foghat. <laughs> so it was almost by association with some of their fans that younger people uh, began to deride them. But if you want to listen to some good British blues boogie based on great American blues. Dig up Foghat and dig up this. Just listen to their version of That'll Be the Day and Honey Hush. Uh, their version of uh, Honey Hush, man, that is one of my all-time favorite tunes. Hello, Lauren Molliver. You should just YouTube that. All right, like I said, it's actually an old, uh, uh, I believe, Howlin' Wolf tune. So I'm here to tell you that when you hear people make fun of Foghat, that Foghat is actually... A very good band. And, you know, one of the things that I tell my uh, people that attend my workshop, I go, you want to be more creative? There's two ways to do it. And one has a part A and part B. And one is 
One is to look at old things in a new way. People go, I don't have anything to write about. I go, well, write about that chair. Write about that table. Write about your uh, morning. First, write something down and see if you can make it into something funny. So look at old things in a new way. That's what a lot of the show is about. The second thing is to look at new things without any judgment. Instead of going, foghead, I heard they suck. To open your eyes, open your ears, clear your mind and listen. Open your eyes. No, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Open your ears. Open your heart. Open your mind and listen. And you might hear something great. If you really want to be creative, when you experience something new, set aside all preconceived ideas and just see how the experience affects you. And then write that down. And now you've got something new and creative because you have not only experienced something new, but experienced it in a new way. And that's what you should do with Fog Hat. <laughs> Fog Hat haters. Uh, okay, I'm going to wrap this show up. Uh, Laura Mahler says, I just turned on the Fog Hat YouTube video and had to suffer and earwax removal commercial first. Yuck. All right, you know what? I got no control over that. And by the way, you know what? Lauren, if you're going to listen to Foghat, damn it, get the wax out of your ears. Uh, Lauren Molliver just won an award in Scottsdale. Uh, Lauren Molliver is uh, an attorney, and he won an award. Um, I was reading about it right as they had to come on the show, but it sounds like a good, uh, it's, it's a kind of uh, awards you're given to good lawyers who do good work for good people. And we congratulate you, Lauren Molliver. Uh, and we congratulate all of you for making it through another week during what is some of the craziest times in American history. But we're all pulling together, and since we're all pulling together, they're not going to be able to pull this country apart. All right, that's it. I'll be back tomorrow, Saturday, special time, 7 p.m. It's our Saturday night comedy jubilee. I'll be back then. Uh, I expect each and every one of you to hop right off of here and go to comedyschools.com and buy a ticket to the Sunday night show Tony Visit presents. It's only 10 bucks. It's worth it. You'll love it. And I expect all of you to tell at least one person about our free intro coming up this coming Tuesday. You help me, I'll help you. We're all going to help each other. And when we're done, we're all going to get together and have a big party. And won't it be grand? Won't it be grand? All right. For my producer, just happens to be my wife, Shirley Lovisic. Oh, I got, you know what? I'll share this with you. It's like good personal news. I got a dog. And I've, I've uh, uh, talked about my dog. Uh, anybody, and anybody knows me. I've got two dogs, and they're great. Roscoe and Chica. Chica is uh, eight pounds of, uh, I used to call her eight pounds of fun. She's a Chihuahua Terrier mix. And Roscoe is a um, mostly lab and a little something else. Okay? And he got sick recently. I could tell something was wrong with him. He's a big old about 60 to 80 pound brown flathead. Just the friendliest guy, but also the most protective dog in the world. Just a good guy. A good guy. And I could tell something had been wrong with him for a while. And we took him to the vet. And he had a large growth on his spleen, a giant growth on his spleen, which was quite a shock for us. We thought maybe he just had allergies or something. And we had to have the little guy's spleen removed, okay? And then the big concern was, was the mass on his spleen. And it was big. It was bigger than my ego. Uh, was it going to be uh, malignant or benign? I started to say malignant. I started to say Belinda Carlisle. Uh, that music was kind of malignant. Um... And I got news today that his mass was benign. So once he gets the stitches out Monday, he's back to his old self. And uh, I can't tell you uh, how happy I am during this, uh, some of the best news I've gotten during the time of Corona. Is uh, One of the worst pieces of news I got is that my dog might have cancer. And the second one is, he's okay now, Lauren. He's okay. He's okay. 
And the second one is that his mass was benign. So uh, he's healthy as hell. And I look forward to him uh, yanking me through uh, the park here in my neighborhood again very, very soon. My dog's okay. And I like fog hat. <laughs> and football. I like football, fog hat, and my dog, Roscoe. Um, I might have an announcement in a couple of weeks about uh, possibly running for office as a write-in candidate. I'm going to need some of your input on that as I uh, formulate uh, up whether I'm going to do it or not. Okay, that is. That's the show. Tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Sunday, 7 o'clock. Tuesday, 6 o'clock. All right, I'll see all of you then. Thanks for tuning in to Living on a Thin Line with me, Tony Visick. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.